So how many of you really like it when people come knocking on your door trying to sell you stuff? Unless it's a Girl Scout with cookies. Okay. Nailed it. That's like the perfect thing. Someone needs their Malamars, right? But it's not something that we usually like. And so what has happened, and if maybe you've noticed this change over the years, I certainly have, that they don't come automatically telling you they're trying to sell you something. They often say they're coming to offer you something right? We're here, I'm here to give you a, um, if they're a solar person, I'm here to give you an energy tech checkup for free. Let's talk about your house. And then they want to go through this whole list. And ultimately, the whole thing is they want to tell you how much they can save you on your um, power by installing solar at your house. Or, you know, I want to help you with this, or I want to help you with that. And oftentimes, whenever I hear that at my front door, I think of that phrase, um, a phrase that has been around for a long time, beware of Greeks bringing gifts. You ever heard that phrase? It comes out of the Battle of Troy, the Trojan horse. The Greeks brought the Trojan horse and the Trojans brought it into their town because they thought it was a gift to the, for the gods and they were going to bring it into their town. Greeks came out of the horse, took over the town and the Trojans ended up being destroyed. Beware of Greeks bearing gifts because you never know what their agenda is. And we live in a world where that's often the case. We always, you know, there's another phrase that we use. You don't get something for free. I've noticed that sometimes when I offer people lunch or breakfast. I'll say, hey, I'd like to go out for lunch for you, with you. And people will often say, what do you want? What's the agenda? And yet, for us as followers of Jesus, and even these folks up here and the kids as we were thinking about that with them, are called to live into service and love of others with no agenda. And oftentimes that's a challenge because we live in a world that has, we've all told ourselves, there's always an agenda. There's always something that has to be looked at like, oh, they want something out of me or they want to do something for their own sake, not for my sake. As we dig into God's word this morning, as we think specifically about our value of disciples serve, we want to think about service to others differently than that worldly idea of service with an agenda. And if there is an agenda, it's not ours. It's agenda only of the Lord's and the Spirit as it calls us, as we say, we serve intentionally with our God-given gifts. That as we do so, we do so in a way that is a great and abundant blessing to others, not for our sake, but for theirs and ultimately for the Lord's. As we dig in, we're going to be in First Peter 4, chapter 4, the first 11 verses. Let's pray for God's blessing and presence on our time as we learn. Father, be present with us. Give us clarity of mind and heart. Let us hear what words you have for us today and how you call us to move beyond ourselves and what it is our agenda in the world around us and live more and more deeply into yours. And your agenda so much for us has to do with giving up ourselves, of loving you with all of ourselves and then loving others with all of ourselves in that dying to ourself 
We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, we can hear that this morning. We can understand more deeply the gifts and the abilities that you have given to all of us, that all of us have been equipped with things that bless your kingdom. They are for us to discover and learn and grow into and engage in more deeply. And as that happens, Lord, your name is proclaimed. People can bear witness to who you are in us, and we want to be faithful witnesses of who you are. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would dig in with me, 1 Peter chapter 4, first 11 verses, that's going to be right near the end of your Bible. It's just before the book of Revelation. So you turn to the end and then go back a few pages. You're going to eventually run into 1 Peter. And it says there in the first two verses, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with that same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly, di- earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Now, I don't know about you, when I, but when I look at that verse, it's a little confusing to me. What does it mean that when we suffer, we die to sin? Um, I think about some of the suffering that I've gone through in my life, and yet it seems like sin continues to be prevalent in me. And so we dig into this verse and we try to wonder, okay, what is the word really saying here? And as I was thinking about it, I think it's important for us to understand a little bit what Christ was living into with his suffering, because we know that Christ had no sin. So what did Christ's suffering have to do with the power of sin that changes the story a little bit? And here's what I, what, as, I as I've looked at this, and even reading the previous passage, what I began to think about. When we talk about Christ's suffering, we are talking about a lot of things. He suffered in the body, he suffered in his spirit, he suffered in his creased separation from God. But the suffering we're speaking of is the pain of reversing the curse of sin and bringing sinlessness into sinful humanity. Here's what I'm trying to say there. If you turn, we're near the end of the Bible, if you turn all the way back to the beginning, especially into Genesis 3, you're going to see the sin of Adam and Eve that becomes then the sin of all humanity. And when you read that verse about God's, or those verses about God's curse towards first woman, and then um, the the serpent is there, and then the earth is there, and, and man bears the consequence of that sin, everything in all of creation then bears the consequence of sin. And in fact, if you read in Genesis 3, you're going to see these words that creation groans in its suffering for the consequence of sin. So every, in a sense, every molecule of creation has been affected by sin. Well, now Christ comes and he suffers in sinlessness And in his suffering, that curse of Genesis 3, which makes everything such a mess, begins to get reversed. But since all of creation is affected by the curse, Christ's work takes time, and each of it is a little bit of suffering. Suffering 
sinlessness, suffering the absence of, you know, these temptations that came to him, even when, the, when Satan brought him out into the wilderness in the desert. Christ goes through all these things and he gives himself up to sinlessness over and over again, transforming the sinfulness of creation into restored creation. Now, that's a lot of sort of big thinking. Let me think about it with you this way. Have any of you had a deep injury that when it began to heal, it actually hurt just as much or more than when you had it? I have. Or maybe you felt the itch of healing. Has anyone ever felt the itch of healing? Like all of a sudden you get a broken leg and you can't scratch the itch as it begins to heal because things are knitting back together and that takes time. And as that takes time, things are put right But in that being put right, there's that suffering of the pain and the itch of it being healed. That's what we're talking about and what Christ is doing here. Christ is making things back the way that they were supposed to be. And now he calls us into that, in suffering into sinlessness, which means we fight against the temptations of the world. And that's hard sometimes, right? Because look at what the world offers. The world offers you pleasure. The world offers you recognition and fame. The world offers you experiences and experimentation to quote unquote expand your horizons and suffering against those things and saying no in a sense, makes it hard for us because the world keeps putting it upon us. In fact, we're going to read more about that. Let's continue to read verses three through six. It says this there. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Here's what we're hearing here. As we move more deeply into a godly life, suffering by bringing godliness into godlessness, the world recognizes its loss of power on us. The world begins to then start to draw us in. It's funny, isn't it? And I've had many conversations with people who are especially seeking some level of transformation in their lives. They've been in a place of either addiction or brokenness or lived into some sort of sinfulness and they, they try to move away from that. And they have oftentimes this season, sort of the honeymoon of the beauty and the excitement of serving God and they get so caught up in who God is and what God is teaching them and it's so exciting but eventually there comes this point and I've seen it so often where somebody will come to me and say wait I've lost that passion the world's grabbing at me again there's things that I used to do that I wanted nothing to do with for a good amount of time and now all of a sudden those things are coming back I long for the drink I long for this. I long for that. All these things that I stepped away from when I stepped into godliness. 
Because the world wants to draw us back into itself. That sin and Satan seeking their power in our lives. And that sin continues to have power in us because we're not yet at the time when Christ has come and redeemed all things. So for us to live into that godliness in this world is a continued challenge, especially because of that pressure that the world puts upon us to come back into what we've been a part of before. And oftentimes when this happens, when the world comes to us and says, what are you doing, Christians? Why are you living like that? That's crazy. Or even we hear these, these things, oh, we need to stop Christians from doing certain things or people who follow Jesus from doing certain things. Prayer in schools, putting up public displays of Christianity. One of the things that happens oftentimes is, of course, we cry persecution, right? I mean, that certainly happens in our world. We cry persecution, taking Christ out of Christmas. But here, it's in here. That's actually promised. The world will ridicule us and call us foolish. We can expect that. And even then the question becomes, do we fight it? Do we fight that persecution or do we instead live more deeply into godliness and expect God to have the power of redeeming these things? And here's why I say that. And, and I know, I just want to give you some things to think about. You can disagree with me if you want. You're more than welcome to do that. I have dis- people disagree with me all the time. Several of them are in my house. But I have this quote that I want to put in front of you. And I don't know where it came from. I heard it once and I've been searching for it all week. I haven't been able to find it because I want to attribute to the person who said it. But it's a powerful quote. It's a powerful idea. And it helps me understand this idea of how the world lives and engages with people who follow Jesus. The quote goes like this. The world accepts you when you give in to it. The world celebrates you when you try to transform it. I'm going to describe that in a moment. The world laughs at you when you fight it. But the world hates you when you ignore it. The world accepts you when you give in to it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to do what everyone else does. The world accepts me. You're not going to have a fight with the world if you're buying into everything that the world is giving, into, giving to you, money, wealth, experience, all those things. The world celebrates you when you try to transform it. You look at people who try to live into countercultural moments. I'm thinking of like the hippie generation. Now those hippie folks from the 60s and the early 70s are like the cool, or they, or at least for a time, they were the cool folks who affected culture in a big way. Think about nerds. All right, nerds in the 80s and 90s were rejected and now all of a sudden we know that nerds rule the world, right? Because these are people who transformed their world and they're now celebrated by the world. The world laughs at you when you try to fight it. So looking at the world and saying, okay, I'm gonna fight against all these things and I'm gonna stop all these things from happening. And the world, I think, laughs at us when we think that because the world knows its power. And the world knows that although we may be able to fight it enough, all we're doing is white knuckling. And the world says, but I still have power against this person and that person around you. And I'll even get you at times. But the world hates us when we ignore it.
In fact, that's what Christ lived into. And what do we hear him say? He says, if the world hates you, what's the next part of the line? It hated me first. Why? Because Christ didn't live into the power of the world. He didn't even focus on it in any way. He wasn't concerned with the values that the world gave to him. He was concerned instead of doing what? Ultimately, over and over again, I have come to do the will of my Father in heaven. And friends, for us to understand that we live into that sort of relationship with the world. Now, the world's going to have influence. The world's going to have some impact on your life. Yes, but for us to constantly live into this place of ignoring the world's power in our lives and seeking first the kingdom of God and expecting that anything else will be added unto us according to his will, plan, and purpose. Ignoring the things that the world calls important and instead celebrating the things that the Spirit calls important. That's the calling of our follower of Jesus. Let's continue. Verses 7 through 9. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert of sober minds so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Look at those phrases. It's just bang, 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 some instructions, okay? Love one another deeply. Friends, that's not a value that the world teaches us, right? The world teaches us to love someone until you get what you want from them. That people oftentimes are disposable. Offer hospitality without grumbling. I want you to think about that phrase. God calls us to welcome people and to provide his hospitality without being consumed by all the things that may come into our mind about whether or not they deserve it, whether or not they should be in our space, whether or not they should be welcomed. Offer hospitality without grumbling. These are things that are living counter to the world's values. And for us to live into those values instead means we're ignoring what the world is calling us to. That's why we get rejected by the world. And frankly, there's beauty there. Because in loving one another deeply, it means that I'm not alone and you're not alone. We're in this together. We're living into the power of the most powerful thing in the kingdom of God. And that is the love and grace that has its source in Jesus Christ and comes out to us as people. Living into that then equips us for what's next. And here's what's next. You'll see how this works. Verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So we see how this sort of passage sort of flows and brings it down and focuses it more and more on us. So first of all, suffering, saying, okay, I'm going to bring godliness into a godless world. And when I do that, 
then I am going to be rejected by the world and the world around me and the world's gonna call me foolish and the world's gonna call me reckless and the world's gonna ridicule me and seek to bring me back into its power. But for me to live into this call of God, what I need to do is love others and be hospitable to others and live as a person of prayer in the world around me. And how do I do all of those things best? I do those by serving Christ with the gifts that I have been given, each one of you uniquely. And all of the gifts that you have have their source in Christ. All of you are equipped by, what, by how the Spirit has given it to you uniquely and differently. And I praise God for these gifts. But these are not the most important gifts. They're simply gifts. You may have the most important gift. I, I've had that conversation so often recently. Somebody says, I don't know what I can do for the kingdom. I don't know how to serve others. And I simply ask you this question, ask, ask this question, can you pray? For you to be a person of prayer, even when you don't know what to do for others, is a huge mode of serving the kingdom of God. We even see it here in that verse, in verse eight, or verse seven. We see that prayer is an equipping by God of you to serve in his kingdom. Many of you have others. You have other gifts. And I think of people who are great grandmas and grandpas. Some of you are wonderful grandmas and grandpas. And that's a gift that you serve others with. You serve your grandchildren, but you can also serve, I think, in our nursery, in our children's ministry. Because you can take that gift that you have of being a great grandma and grandpa to your grandkids and bless other kids who maybe don't. That was a huge, that's been a huge blessing in my kid's life. That they had adopted grandparents every place that we've ever been who said, we have the gift of grandparenting and we're going to live that gift into others. I see this guy up here, Augustine. Some of you haven't met him yet. This guy is an incredibly gifted man. And he has tremendous gifts to think about how to help others in a whole lot of situations because he's a social worker and equipped in different places and spaces in San Bernardino County. He knows resources that we're already seeing bless our community. And no one else has those gifts except him in his unique way. And I praise God for that. And you can name them for yourself. But name them for yourself. Write them down. Spend some time thinking. And if you don't know, if you're not sure what gifts you have, simply talk to me, talk to Karen. We have ways to connect you to your gifts because you have been given gifts by God. They're God-given gifts. How are we going to serve God with them intentionally? And what we've discovered, what I've discovered, is that there are gifts that people have that like blow my mind. There are things that people can do that I never, ever expected. I, actually, I had breakfast with a, a guy yesterday from our church, and he is a game programmer. Computer games, okay? You know com- computer games. He's a computer game programmer, and he's part of a company that programs computer games. And what I know about this guy is that he wants to bring his faith in Christ into computer games. I don't know how, but he's trying to figure that out. Think about that. Do you know that right now computer games make more money than television and movies and music combined? Did you know that? In our culture right now, 
computer games make more money than every movie, every television show, and um, every uh, piece of music that is recorded combined. Is that a place where we should be bringing Christ? Absolutely. Here's a guy who has that gift. I once went to a woman and I said, hey, can you do this? She said, no, I can't do that because that's not my gift. But here's a gift that I have. Those are the kinds of conversations that I love to have. Say no to me, but say yes to him. Say no to the thing that you are not made to do, but say yes to him. And when you do, you are making a statement to the world as you live into that gift with only God's agenda. Not your own, no one else's. That gift is multiplied. And blessings come richly and greatly. Now, friends, here's my challenge to you. Now, I could, you know, it may sound selfish. We have lots of things that we can do um, that, that, that we can call you towards. Yes, we have places in nursery and children's ministry. And Mario always needs new youth leaders. And if you have the gift of music, certainly we, you could be a blessing up here. But let me just give you this one. We have a work day coming up. And that's a good way for you to come together with other people and serve. It'd be wonderful if we don't have enough projects because so much stuff gets done. And it would be wonderful if some of our, I think of MCCA. MCCA is also always looking for people to go on trips down to Mexico. They serve 60 organizations, last time that I was told. 60 organizations, they serve anywhere between, say, 13, 15, and 16 orphanages every time they go. There's tens of thousands of pounds of food that they bring. They're always looking people for people to drive or help unload or even pick up food before they make a trip. Maybe that's a place where you can just simply use the truck that you have or the strong body that you have. What is your place? Where is your spot? Because as you live into that spot, beauty comes. As you live into that spot, you are making a statement strongly against the world. I'm not mine. I'm his. And you don't have me. Friends, for us to learn better how disciples serve, specifically how you serve, is the call of God this week. Listen. And then go and do what it is that he calls you to do. Let's pray. Father, in Christ, we ask that you equip us with eyes to see and ears to hear ways in which you have equipped us to serve you in your kingdom. And even hearing, Lord, that we do this with the strength that you provide. Lord, we may not feel like we're strong enough. We may feel like we're not capable enough. But you are capable of all things through us. You remind us of that over and over and over in Scripture. And those things that, Lord, we sit back and we say, oh, that's not for me. Because I don't, I, I, you know, I'm not sure about that. I, it's not something I'm too excited about. For us to even explore those places and understand that maybe you've called us to learn something new. A new place to be a part of your kingdom. A new, new place for us to show the world what it is that you call us to do. A new place, Lord, for us to stand with you, ignoring the world's draw on our time and our energy and our finances and living instead into your kingdom first. Lord, as we hear that call, equip us with the spirit to live into that faithfully. Equip us with the courage to let go of things that have an agenda for us and grab on to the things 
that have an agenda for you. Lord, give us clarity of mind to see those things we say yes to, the things we say no to, but ultimately to love you with all that we are, all that we have, love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.